Welcome in Rose City to Soccer Made in Portland. I'm Ryan Clark, joined by Chris Reifer. A jam-packed week gone by for PTFC. Uh, the Portland Thorns with a 3-3 draw at the North Carolina Courage. Uh, and the Portland Timbers with a pair of matches. One in the regular season, a 2-2 draw against Austin FC. Uh, stalemate snatched from the jaws of victory. And a loss in the U.S. Open Cup, 4-3 to to Real Salt Lake last night. Last night being Wednesday, we were recording this podcast uh, Thursday morning here. Uh, fresh off that Open Cup match, Chris, um, we'll start there. The The defending was, let's say, brutal for some stretches for, for a, uh, nice a, Timbers, a Timbers side that was pretty... Uh, Pretty rotated, pretty not like anything resembling a first team. Um, and just had some really brutal moments at the back that led to four goals for Real Salt Lake. Now, the other end, there were some fun and exciting moments. Obviously, Sebastian Blanco starting things out with his first goal of 2023. Yeah, kind of a when playing it out of the back goes wrong moment for RSL. But yes, yes, nice to see Seba get on the score sheet. It was great. You're not going to find a much easier goal than that, but love love to see him put the ball in the back of the net. Regardless, that, of course, was sparked by the play of Noel Kaliskan, uh, who pressured on that play and then ended up getting the assist. Uh, he had another assist later in the match on, on a ball back to Justin Rasmussen, who, who scored his first goal for the Timbers in any uh, actual competition. He had one in a preseason match last year, but... Uh, first one in a, an actual competition for Rasmussen, despite uh, a bit of a rough game for him and the others playing at the back, uh, particularly, you know, center backs, Tyler Clegg and, and Larry Mabiala didn't also, have a great game. A bit of a rough game is a, also a nice way to put it. Yes. Uh, being charitable in, in <laughs> terms of talking about that individual performance, but um, a couple players that, that stood out and I thought played well, uh, Marvin Loria was very active and aggressive and, and showcased, I think some of the ability that makes him first team capable. It's just the, the, the times he's been in and contributing for the Timbers. He, he hasn't quite been consistent and shown that on a regular basis, that, that speed dynamism, that ability to, to make plays and put nice crosses into the box. He was good. And and Pablo Bonilla is another one who I think had a good game, despite the team struggles at the back. Um, both of those guys, definitely some upside, but either way, you know, the, the Timbers are eliminated now from the U S open cup. They will not advance to the round of 16. Um, and, and that's it. They're, they're done in, in the open cup for the year, which they didn't, I mean, they said they took it seriously and I, <laughs> well, I, Actions speak louder than words. Uh, I'm not, the, yeah. You know, look, I want to step back from the 10,000 foot level to the 10,000 foot level a little bit and talk about the, the week as a whole. Uh, one of the steadiest messages you get out of the Portland Timbers is uh, that that they think they deserve more credit than they're given by fans and by commentators and the like, notwithstanding being a team that's averaging 1.909, sorry, not 1.9, that would be great, 1.09 points per game, which is not good. Uh, they deserve, they, they think they deserve more credit. And so I will note that in this space, in this exact space last week, it's, it's on the internet, you can go check it out. I praised the Timbers' defensive work over the last several weeks. I praised it, I said it's been very good, and that's been part of what has helped turn the, the the tables a little bit on the season. They've played two games since I made those comments. Those two games were against Austin, a team averaging 1.00 points per game, and that hasn't been able to find goals consistently. And, by the way, was missing the one guy who actually does score goals, Indriusi. And they played a heavily rotated, not, not heavily, a, a moderately rotated, RSL team. RSL is a team averaging 1.1 points per game, which is one one hundredth of a point per game better than the Timbers. Not great teams, not great opponents, missing key guys, both games at home. The Timbers ship six goals. (laughs) 
six goals to those two teams in two games. And they came out with one draw and a loss in two games that if you are a competent soccer team whatsoever, would be two pretty routine wins. So, you know, shame on me. For coming out and hope. giving them the uh, and giving them that praise because they immediately turned around and said that praise is wildly unwarranted, not just a little bit unwarranted, but wildly unwarranted. Uh, that is a terrible week for the Timbers, just awful. There is nothing good to say about that. That is an awful week for the Timbers. If you are a team that has the aptitude to accomplish absolutely anything at all, that is not a week in which you have those two opponents and you're going to take one draw out of it. Absolutely catastrophic week uh, to the extent that there was hope of a turnaround coming in uh, to the extent that there was uh, a corner being turned. They turned the corner into a brick wall and that is now gone. So that is an awful week. There's no there's 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 no lipstick to put on that pig. And uh, I, I, I retract my comments. Uh, about the Timbers' defensive improvement. Uh, they have gone radically the other direction. It has been shambolical over the course of the last week. Uh, and at this point, I don't think there's a lot of reason to think that this is a team that's going to compete. I think they are who their record is. And that's 1.09 points per game, which I don't care where you are relative to the red line or wherever that keeps moving every year. That's terrible. points per game is bad. It's bad in every league in the world, and it's bad. And the reason the Timbers have 1.09 points per game and, by the way, are out of the U.S. Open Cup is because they have been bad. That's it. Around the team, the the feeling is obviously much more optimistic. Obviously, you know, Gio's personality is such that that he is the type of person to – to find positivity where there isn't much, right? He, he, it, it has to, in part, I think, to do with the fact that, like, head coaches sometimes have to do that in order to, to protect themselves. Not saying that's what's happening with Gio, but, you know, that's part of the game, right? Yeah. I mean, he, it, he, he can't, he can't, he doesn't have the luxury of being able to, you know, go on the rant that I just did in, in, in public. No, of course not. And and behind the scenes, I'm sure he's he's incredibly frustrated not only by his team's lack of performance, but um but you know, the lack of personnel that that he has right now, like the fact that nothing happened at at the transfer deadline to improve their fortunes is is part of the reason why they're in this position, right? I I I think it's there's definitely signs of potential improvement happening. Are there? <laughs> I mean, that, yeah. this is sort of what I keep coming back to. I mean, yes, bad teams sometimes have good performances. But if those performances were reflective of a, a bad team growing, then you, then you don't have – you don't drop that result against Austin. Right? Yeah. No, I, yeah. And, and that's that's the thing is, like, the the momentum is being talked about. There are individual players for whom fortunes are changing. You think about guys like Evander starting to to come into their own a little bit more. Uh, he had a, a good game against Austin. Um, Zach McGraw, obviously a young guy that that has been one of their stalwarts all year, uh, and and their defensive shape had seemed to be improving. Um, but regardless of those things, you're not getting the results, right? So it's easy to, easy to say that the momentum is, is heading one direction. But again, actions what, speak louder well, than you're, words. Yeah. The actions do speak louder than And if the, the momentum words. is shifting, then go beat a bad Austin team without its best player. If the yeah, momentum is shifting, them. go win against a rotated uh, RSL team at home in the U S open cup. Like if the momentum is shifting, go do those things. But yeah, if you don't, don't do those things, the momentum goals. isn't actually shifting. You're just you're just a 1.9 points per game team. Yeah, 1.09. Yeah, they're, 1.09. They're, yeah. Sorry, I, once I once again, 1.9 is would be outstanding. That would be great. That, that would be. <laughs> but be um, but yeah, like the Timbers sit right now at three wins, five losses, three draws, twelve points, uh, tied with Minnesota for eighth. So Timbers are in ninth right now, having played one more match. Uh, Colorado has the same number of points there in 10th uh and one point back is that real salt lake team that has not been good this year and even with the expanded playoffs you know nine 
freaking teams in, in MLS are capable of making quote unquote the postseason. The Timbers are still on, on, on the verge of not being in that at all, which would be a catastrophic failure for a club that it talks a lot about its place in MLS history and about its tradition and about its competitive uh, consistency over the years. Uh, after a year where you don't make the playoffs last year under a, a smaller uh, smaller window or smaller line, I guess, higher up line than, than, than uh, this year, if if you pull uh, something like this in in twenty twenty three where you're not making the postseason, I mean, where are you other than and, backsliding? And I mean, I, I I just have to push back again on the idea that making making the postseason, such as it is, is a relevant sort of benchmark for success. Yeah, yeah even if they do, like what 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 is that? What to what end? You're right that if the postseason began today. A team that is on 1.1 points per game would make the postseason. I'm sorry. 1.1 points per game in the league? That's bad. That's bad in every league in the world. That That is not a sign of success whether you qualify for a play-in game or not. Like, that's just bad. And that's not, like, a hot take. And we're at the point now where you are your record. We've played enough games. The The Timbers have what, 12, 13 games in all competitions so far? They are their record. There is no hiding from that. And I, I it's, it's just really frustrating when we've been talking about this, this stretch in May being sort of the Timbers' best opportunity to get themselves back into a, compla- into a place where they're competitive. To have a week as terrible as this last week has been. Uh, and to have to see the casualness with which these results have gotten away. Both results got away. Timbers led in both in both games. In fact, they led multiple times in both games. Uh, and and they let those results get away. And to see the ease with which those results slipped away in what is an absolutely critical stretch. Look, if they're still around 1.1 points per game going into June with what the June schedule looks like, stick a fork in them. The only thing they're playing for is League's Cup. So I, I, so seeing those two results get away the way they did is really concerning. Uh, and there should be five alarms going off in, in, in Timbers world right now, because this is their window and they have already lost some of that window. There's still some more of it left, but if they don't start going on a tear now, 2023, whether they finish it, 1.09 or 0. Point something or 1.2 points per game or whatever it is, it's not going to get to a point where it's something that they can hang their hat on. And yeah, you're not you're not adding to the trophy case. You're not you're not building on the club's legacy. You're not um creating an an attractive place for for potential transfers to come if they if they see it as an opportunity to win and succeed in MLS. You're you're diminishing in many ways, a brand that yes, you know, Timbers executives and and coaches over the years have mostly been right in that the Timbers have been a, a positive and shining example for the rest of MLS. Um, what happens if that's not the case? The, then the the it, it feels like a wasted opportunity. Nobody's looking at one point zero nine points per game as as a shining example of what you can accomplish in MLS. I can tell you. Yeah, ex- exactly. There's plenty of of clubs that are just blowing past that and aren't concerned with even coming close to that. And if they were in that type of situation, they would be devastated and infuriated. But it it seems the attitude around these parts is well. This is the this is the reason why yeah there's an there's an injury as here. though that's not something there. that they you know have some control over right like there's there's definitely ways to to mitigate those circumstances right and to to succeed despite them there are plenty of MLS teams that are doing that yeah the timbers I, it, the timbers it, aren't victims of their circumstances <laughs> they have made their circumstances and those circumstances right now are bad uh and so. You know, I, I it's frustrating on the whole. I think you look at the particular moments in which they're giving up the goals. I mean, look, it was a heavily rotated lineup in U.S. Open Cup. I think there's a lot to be said about that, whether that's the right choice, whether that's the choice that they were sort of forced into. 
uh, as a function of where they are in the league. Uh, I mean, I, I, I think there were discussions to be had about all of that, but you look at the particular moments in which they're giving up these goals. They're not goals that good teams are giving up. Uh, the, the first goal against Austin comes primarily out of a really, really bad giveaway in midfield. And it's not just a really, really bad giveaway insofar as it was like a sloppy pass or something like that. It was a moment in which the Timbers decided to be fancier than it, it was necessary for them. It's not like they were one or two passes away from unlocking something. Like, nothing was really on. But the thing that was just outrageous about it is that the rest defense, it was just the absolute worst possible moment in which they could have decided to take sort of valueless risks in possession. It was a very low collective IQ moment from from the Timbers. And the reason I say that, so the rest defense, rest defense is, is probably a phrase that if you're listening to podcasts and watching soccer stuff you've heard before, what it basically means at a high level is it is your defensive shape in the moment that you give up the ball. Because everybody gives up the ball, right? Everybody loses the ball. Every soccer team in the world loses the ball and loses it a lot over the course of 90 minutes. Rest defense refers to the shape that your defense is in when you give up the ball. And when people talk about how good teams rest defenses, they're talking about how balanced their shape is so that when they do give up the ball, they're in a position to be able to win it back and they're in a position to be able to defend. And in the moment that the Timbers gave up the ball for that first equalizer at the beginning of the second half against Austin, they had about the worst rest defense shape imaginable because both Mabiala and Zuparic were pulled out all the way toward the east touchline. So there was probably three quarters of the field of Austin's attacking uh, vector that had no Timbers defender in it or had no center back in it, at least. They were really imbalanced. And that happens sometimes, right? Just because of the way, the kind of the, the natural flow of a soccer game, there are times in which you get pulled out of balance. But good soccer teams recognize those moments and they're like, hey, this isn't a moment where we can give up the ball. This isn't a moment where we can take risks because we need to reset our rest defense. The Timbers completely failed to recognize that and instead took unnecessary and enormously reckless risks uh, in the way they were trying to build their midfield. Uh, they gave up the ball and then it was just a run out. And frankly, everything after that, I know a lot of people were, were were jumping on Bravo's positioning and this and that. After that, it's a run out for Austin. And that's really hard to defend. So what they did during the run out isn't really the problem because that's just a hard situation to defend. What the problem is, the risks they took with the ball in the moments in which they were really out of balance. And that's just the kind of stuff that good teams don't do. That's the kind of stuff that teams that are building momentum and that are growing in themselves don't do, especially in home games against teams that they should beat. And that's the kind of stuff that drops results. And that's the kind of stuff that when you're doing those things, you're not going to be able to put together the kind of run that the Timbers need to put together in order to not be a 1.09 points per game kind of team. And that's what I'm talking about. When I mean the Timbers are their record. When you're doing that stuff, that's who you are. You are a 1.09 points per game team. And there are critical moments where, you know, whether it's it's personnel or, um, you know, just tactical shape or, or any anything like that, like good teams don't make these type of errors, right? Like Dario Zuperich after, after the two, two draw against Austin, um, he, he had a fun press conference for the most part. He's, he's an interesting guy. Um, he, he's got a great dry sense of humor as, as so many Eastern European players seem to, to possess. Um, but, but one moment that stood out in particular was his defense of Larry Smabiala uh, on that final play uh, where the, the cross came in and, and, you know, Will Bruins header goes in the back of the net. And instead of two, one, a victory for the Timbers, it becomes a, a two, two draw um, that came as a result of a lot of the things that you're talking about, right? The, the lack of, of defensive shape in, in giving the ball up. It also came, I think as, as a, mistake on the part of of 
Gio and the coaching staff not thinking about what other options they might have at the center back spot down the stretch. Mabiala played a full game. He was busting his butt and I think played a better game than many might have expected generally in terms of his individual performance still wasn't great, but he's, he's an aging center back who was thrust into a position that he had no choice in. Right. No Zach McGraw to, to punch in, in, in that game uh, in, in the way that you might have uh, at the end of this RSL game in the U S open cup. Right. So, so that isn't an option, but p- putting Clegg in would have been a fresh body, right? Somebody that, you know, in that moment, adding him to to the group that includes Larry Smabiel and Dario Zuperich instead of subbing on a midfielder, an attacking player, when you're up two to one, um, those little decisions can ultimately be the difference in the game. And you know, Geo um, Geo said that you know, in retrospect, he probably would have done it differently. But at the same time, you you chose to do what you chose to do. And, I understand and there, that decision, it, though. Yeah, because, you know, (laughs) there are two ways to salt away a game like that, right? You can either score the third goal then it's over uh, or you can you can defend fiercely. uh, Then you win two one. Frankly, I understand why Gio kept his attacking unit intact because they were generating tons of chances. And they had plenty of chances to go to three one, in which case the game's over. If you go three one, uh, sort of, you know, in the last fifteen or twenty minutes like that, the game is almost certainly over. Yeah, they could probably find a way, but, uh, but you know, I mean, the, the game they would have won that game if they'd found that third goal, and there were tons of opportunities to do that. And so I, I think it's only natural that Geo, with the benefit of hindsight, would second guess that. And frankly, it's a fair consideration. But I understand why he didn't do that. Like that wasn't an insane decision not to do so. And I, I agree that, you know, that last goal isn't entirely on Mabiala. Was he pushed a little bit? Probably. Was it a foul? Eh, probably not. Could the Timbers have done a better job of getting some ball pressure? Absolutely. Could Mabiala nonetheless have been stronger uh, in, in getting that push from Bruin? Could he have been more physically dominant in that moment and made sure that he was the guy who got to the spot who was going to have position? Absolutely. Oh, is it entirely on him? No. Uh, is it partially on him? Yes. Um, and you know, have there been a number of goals that have been partially on him? Yeah, (laughs) there, there have been, uh, and would all of that have been moot if the Timbers had gone and gotten the third goal that they should have scored? Yeah, it would have been, uh, does Frank Boley need to find his finishing boots again? Absolutely does. Uh, he is, he's, he's, He's shanked, shocked a number of them recently. Uh, and, uh, and, and you can't do that if you're going to be a number nine. That's just how it is. Uh, does Yaroslav Nizhgoda need to be able to, to find himself more regularly in spots to score goals in non-U.S. Open Cup games? He does. Nice goal uh, against RSL. Really nice Clinical take. finish. Yeah. yeah. If he can carry like momentum like that into back into the regular season like he he becomes their starting forward again right? yeah i mean like by default basically but, yeah. but, but absolutely but like we haven't seen that and that has not been a regular occurrence in the league and it hasn't been a regular occurrence in the league for some time the guys got one league goal since late last summer i think so there you have it uh i i mean you know i i, I think in many respects, as I look at the personnel on the team, it's kind of exactly what we would have expected last fall if you told us how the transfer window was going to go. They are really thin at center back, and that's going to lead them to give up goals. And they don't have a reliable goal scorer. And that's going to lead them, even when they create chances, to not capitalize on those. Wow, there's there's that game against Austin right there in a nutshell, isn't it? Those are two, I mean, like team breaking and season breaking issues. Like it, it gets to a point where the positivity with, with regard to Evander is, is exciting. He's, he's somebody that has showcased a, a potentially elite ability to play make, you know, it Santi Moreno coming back into form a little bit, but not quite there yet. 
is exciting because he's a young player that this this club believes in and that has shown quality over the years. Zach McGraw stepping into a leadership role and being really a stalwart at the back for for Portland is exciting and positive. And then Alia Zivacic continuing to do what he does in goal is is a positive thing. But all of those things put together don't solve these two glaring issues that, you know, a, a lack of depth at certain positions that one or two injuries happen and suddenly you uh, are extremely thin to a point where you can't even fully rotate in the U.S. Open Cup game. You got to play Christian Paredes 70 minutes. Th- those things are, are not solved by all of those positive aspects, right? Those not having a, a striker that can score goals, period, is an unbelievable problem for for an MLS team uh, that is seeking to continue climbing in the table. Not having anybody around that striker that has been really a consistent threat to do that, period, is also a problem. It's it's not just down to the number nines. They, they had need other guys that are even remotely dangerous. Who is the Timbers' they, most reliable goal scorer? I don't know if they have one. <laughs> I I really I mean, is it is it a Spria? Yes. I on right now, yeah. On it's it's Dairon Aspria. And and you know, credit to Aspria for the form that in the in the last couple of years that that he's put in. Uh I think uh, he, it's a great story and he's done a, a great job. That's a guy who's never scored more than 10 goals in a regular season. Yeah. And he's old. Like he's 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 a veteran player. It's he's, you shouldn't expect him to to be carrying you and you know, this this issue dates back to last year where Bill Tuiloma for a while was the leading goal scorer on, on the team. Like for more than half the season. For m- the majority of the season, Bill was the leading scorer. And then you, you take him out of the picture completely and suddenly an issue that was a problem all year last year gets worse, even though you've added a, a $10 million transfer fee designated player who um, maybe next year will be the year he truly like quote unquote explodes, but so far it's, it's been like a, with, with Evander, it's been a, a wait and see thing. And and it often is for DPs, but he's not, he's not going to be a 20 and 20 guy, but like I, he's, he's I, not, he's not Carlos Vela at his, at his peak. I, like I keep going back to what I think we talked about back in the fall when they were signing Evander, which is, I'm not sure the number 10 position or the chance creation is the biggest problem. I still don't think it is. I think they've got other guys who actually do a decent job of that as well. Eric Williamson, Santi Moreno. Uh, I mean, these are all these are guys who can create chances and have done so well in in MLS. Even Christian Paredes. I mean, Christian Paredes might be among their more reliable goal scorers right now. Uh, but uh, you know, I mean, like you know, the, these are who can who can do that and they Juan brought mascara actually yeah might be the most reliable yeah, goal there you scorer. go there you go or right back uh the right back is the most reliable goal scorer that's 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 a navel gazing moment uh you know but i, I, they, I it, it feels like they solved a problem that although i understand why they wanted to reinforce in that spot really wasn't their biggest hole may not even even been their second biggest hole and those holes are still glaring and gaping, and they are bleeding out of them. And here we are. So. <laughs> Rough stretch, for sure. For the Timbers. Like, just a terrible week. Yeah. <laughs> I, Could- I, I wasn't quite getting enough of that feeling coming out of those two results. But in two, I think because of the circumstances they put themselves in, pretty important games. Awful, awful set of results. Yeah. No, it... it- Adds to to the pressure of this Saturday's match against Vancouver. They're back at home. You know, this is a, a lengthy stretch of home matches for the Timbers, which one would think you'd be stacking up some points. And they need three points against Vancouver on Saturday. But it, it ain't going to be nearly as, as easy or as likely as it would have been against an Austin team that's really struggling. Yeah, I mean, Vancouver's so playing Vancouver, a lot better than Austin is. Yeah, it's a Vancouver team playing a lot better. And, and you know, this this is a... You never want to call a game a must win in a 34 game season where you've played 11 games, but it's pretty, pretty darn close to that for the Timbers in the way of, you know, building actual momentum that they thought they had after St. Louis. But now we're, we're back in the not so sure to, to more likely they don't ranch. I'll, I'll, I'll put it this way. I mean, with this next week, Timbers have Vancouver home. 
Then they go in the league away to RSL. Uh, and then they come back home to Minnesota. If this next week goes as poorly as the last week, it's going to be a lot of weather made in Portland uh, on this podcast for the rest of the year. And and sure enough, it's going to be nice and sunny this next uh, It is 10 too days, hot, although though. A little too toasty. Going yeah. into the 90s yeah. in May? Like, yeah. Like, climate change has basically just been an assault on the best seasons of the year. Spring and fall are now myths. We just go straight from summer into winter. Yeah, it's it's we're we're reducing to three, maybe maybe two seasons in yeah, Oregon. Like like the seasons point. in Oregon now are are winter, post winter, summer, post summer, and then back into winter. That sucks. So, uh, sorry, that... sorry, and fire season, <laughs> which which is weaved into that. Uh, <laughs> the, that it's like the, the post summer uh, period is fire yeah. season. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, there's a little little bit of fire. Hopefully not as many fires this summer. I would like to go outdoors. It'd be fun. Yeah, going um, outside is great. Yeah, I, I enjoy being outside. Um, the team that has been out of town between uh, the Timbers and Thorns has been the Thorns. They, they are on a 10-day road trip, which ends this Friday in Houston. But prior to that, they, they played on the road at North Carolina, kept getting down one goal, Kept coming back and scoring one to even it up. Um, uneven performance in what ended up being an even match on the score sheet uh, for for the Thorns. Um, they they were lucky in that you know the defensive lapses that they had were made up for by some really excellent uh, you know dangerous attacking play from individual players, including Olivia Moultrie, and who, from the team. Scored, yeah, and from the team generally, which continued its its strong momentum on that side of the field. Um, but no Becky Sauerbrunn at the back has, has really shown for this Thorns team two consecutive 3-3 draws now against a couple of solid NWSL sides. I would say Angel City is probably the better of the two between between North Carolina and, and Angel City. Yeah. But regardless, like those are not the results you want if you're the Thorns. You you don't want to be giving up three goals if you're a championship side that That's has, has prided itself on, on defense the last two years. It's really, you know, save for the fact that you know, they, they led the league in goals last year and are probably going to do it again this year. What has set the thorns apart has been the way they've defended and, and clamped teams down. And and that has been relatively non-existent the last two weeks and, and is troubling in a lot of ways for a team that we for weeks and weeks have been lauding as this like unstoppable force. And, and they seem a bit, a bit vulnerable, particularly on that end. And I don't think it's just a product of not having Becky Sauerbrunn. I, I think that there's issues in the midfield, like you've talked about, that um, are glaring and prevalent. I think there may be some personnel changes there that would alleviate that, i.e. bringing on someone like Rocky Rodriguez. Yeah. Uh, would, would be has been totally fix. absent so far. Uh, yeah. And that's been a bit of a mystery. It has been. And, and it's it's... It'll be interesting to see if Friday that changes, if Rocky gets more of an opportunity and plays more of that role because, you know, Christine Sinclair has has done what elite veteran players are capable of doing, right? Playmaking, utilizing their skill and finishing ability to to be dangerous end to end. But if, if you have Sink playing like a box-to-box midfield role, uh, she's going to struggle a lot more on one end than on the other, right? Yeah. Like she's she's a very solid and heady player, but you know there are limitations that the human body experiences, and she's in her late thirties, and it's it's hard to to play further back in those positions and, that I think Rock, Rocky would have more and success. Even in her prime, that's not where she played, right? She, in her prime, she was a striker, and you know this has been an interesting experience having sync move into uh central midfield actually uh, before we get into this i do want to back up and say big difference big big difference between the thorns result this last week and the steaming pile that we just talked about with the timbers uh north carolina is if nothing else at least a competent nwsl team they're not the orlando pride right oh uh, and so going on the road to carry getting a point especially in a place that's been a little bit of a house of horrors for the thorns over the years. Uh, that's not a bad point. And there were things to really like about, about the thorns performance uh, in, in North Carolina, they were probably on balance, the more dangerous of the team there, the XG numbers back that up uh, the XG numbers that the thorns pretty regularly dominate. They did in this game as well. Uh, and so there was a lot here that I think you can point to as being positive 
uh, and and that's great. I mean, Liv Moultrie's goal was phenomenal, unbelievable. I didn't even know it had gone in at first. Uh, I wasn't sure if it had gone in or if it like went back behind and hit the stanchion and and came back. Uh, amazing goal. Uh, the team goal that the Thorns scored for the second, uh, Crystal Dunn's second goal, uh, was the best goal the Thorns have scored all year. What an incredible team move that was. Uh, from start to finish, from Kling's assist to uh, to Soap's back heel, uh, that whole thing was just, I mean, that is champagne soccer. Outstanding stuff. And so I think there are absolutely things in this game that you can look to. Uh, and they, they, they forced North Carolina into a number of saves uh, as well. It's not like this was what Murphy had, what, seven or eight saves on on the day uh so it's not like they sort of took their three only moments that they had of the game the thorns were very dangerous and they absolutely deserved to have three goals in this game uh and it's a good it's it's a solid point uh it, it is just it is just black letter law in soccer that road points against solid teams are good period you want Three at home, that's the corollary, right? You need to get three at home, which they didn't uh, the week before against Angel City. Uh, but but a, a road point against a team like North Carolina is good. But I think there are issues here that we've now seen over the course of the last few weeks consistently pop up that need to be addressed. And, and I, I think for, for me, you, you've put your, your thumb on the biggest one, which is just that midfield balance. It feels like they're playing with a six and two tens. Uh, a, a six in uh, Sam Coffey and then two tens in Crystal Dunn and Christine Sinclair. And I think Crystal Dunn has been, obviously, end of ACL player of the week. Phenomenal as one of those tens. I wouldn't want to change that. Uh, I just think it's not a viable balance to play sync in the three-player midfield with those two. Uh, and I think Rocky is the Rocky is a true eight. She is the truest two-way midfielder that they have. She defends, she connects, she does all the things that you want an eight to do. It's a bit of a mystery for me, as I said a moment ago, why she hasn't been a more prominent feature in the team under Mike Norris. I don't get it. Uh, and I would be interested to hear. I mean, yeah, I don't think he would provide a public explanation as to why. Uh, I would be very interested in the explanation as to why. Because it's not even like when she's played, she's shown poorly. I think she's shown basically as, as who she is. And and Rocky was a really important player for the Thorns in the run to the title last year. So I'm a little bit mystified by this. And I think you've really seen the effects of it. Sam Coffey has been on an island. The center backs have been on an island, especially with as much as the Thorns like to push their fullbacks forward, which again is a big element of why they're so dangerous. Who had the assist on that amazing team goal? It was Megan Klingenberg, uh, the primary assist. So if I think did get the secondary assist, which was absolutely deserved, uh, the hockey assist, if you will. Um, but it was Megan Klingenberg with the 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 assist there. Uh, but if you're pushing your fullbacks and you have poor midfield balance, your six and your center backs are going to be on an island off an awful lot. And boy, did Carolina ever exploit that! Holy moly. Uh, that was pretty jarring to see. And it, it, it sort of just exacerbates a problem. I, I, I guess I'll put it this way. Ha- not having Becky Sauerbrunn just exacerbates that problem, right? Because Becky is, is elite at reading the game. She, she is like soccer AI back there. Her ability to process information, read things and step into passing lanes before they develop to break them up is, I mean, literally world elite one of the best in the world at doing exactly that. And she's been one of the best in the world at doing that for a long time. Yes. It is. It is the linchpin uh, upon which the, the thorns counterattack yeah. is built yeah. is, is what she does in terms of stepping in front of passes and, and reading things before they're there. And, and so Emily Mangus, who I think is a good central defender in NWSL, there's going to be a step down in that regard, just because like you can't, you can't have two Becky Sauerbrunn's because there aren't two. And, and and so, like, you're going to have a step back in that respect. And Mangus's strength has never, ever been defending in space. 
But if you're pushing your fullbacks forward and if you don't have midfield balance, you're going to force her to like th- that's just how it's going to go, especially when you've got a team that's got some counterattacking weapons like Carolina does. And I think that really re- the Thorns really, really got punished uh, in that respect against uh, against the courage. I think we saw some of that against Angel City. Uh, And I think it's something that they have to address, both in terms of making sure that they're maintaining balance with their fullbacks uh, so that when they're pushing forward, there's some counterbalance on the other side. But also, I think most critically, they need to find it better through the middle Uh, and they need to have uh, better defensive support from the eight role, which I I think forces them just into a difficult decision of of not starting Christine Sinclair. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see which direction Norris goes on Friday against Houston. If if that lineup changes something that he he sees as an opportunity to to shift momentum, if he you know sticks with what he's been doing and sees how the first forty five goes, that's that's a potential another option. Considering you know Rocky hasn't really played big minutes yet, I, I think she's absolutely in form and in shape to to do so. You know to to start and play heavy minutes, but. Um, you will see that that is a change to potentially watch. I don't think there's likely to be a major change at center back um, with, with Sauerbrunn still out, you know, Mengus was, you know, put on an Island, as you said, and put in some really difficult positions. She definitely did make individual mistakes. Uh, so the idea that, you know, Megan Nally might start at that position is not out of the question. Um, uh, the question, but, but, but it, it's not the problem, right? Yeah. You know, the, the problem exists further up and, um, one area that I, I do think that they have had a lot of strength and positivity in, in that midfield between those two tens, obviously, as you mentioned, is Crystal Dunn. She's been disruptive. She's been, you know, showing Vlatko Andonovsky and the U.S. Women's National Team why she is absolutely an attacking midfielder and not a left back. <laughs> like she she has, has thrived in that position and is now tied with <laughs> Sophia Smith w- with four goals on the year. Uh, for the league lead, which I think is like five players tied for the league lead right now, so exciting stuff happening, obviously across so NWSL. Five assists. Who saw, who saw so that coming? Five uh, assists. Yeah, here. that is that is something else. Yeah, she she's really you know developed that as as an additional threat in her game because when so much attention is paid to her, she's able to to play it off to other great playmakers like Crystal. How who, devastating who, for opposing defenses. Oh my to, God. To yeah. Be because, because last year, if you swarmed her, like sometimes it worked out for you, right? Sometimes yeah. you were able to, to put her in a position where she, she um, puts herself in, in a hole or she, she dribbles into a crowd and, and overthinks it individually. Right. And despite that, she won MVP. She was the best player in the league last year and, and was dominant. Yeah. Now this year she's still that same player, even more lethal in terms of goal scoring. But also, when you do that, when you send multiple players at her and Crowder, she's making amazing plays. She had the back heel in that great build up and got the hockey assist. She she has plenty of other assists this season that have been really impressive and have showcased her playmaking ability. So if you if you got to worry about both of those things with her, my God, you're 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 in some trouble. And, and I think, you know, Crystal Dunn and Morgan Weaver are absolutely just eating uh, at uh, from 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 that right now. Uh, I, I think a lot of the success that they've had in 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 goal scoring has come from Soph's ability to 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 find not just not just find the goal scoring opportunities as, as she did last year, but to find the passes, to find the flicks on. Uh, when she does a draw, draw that much attention. I mean, frankly, I don't think Crystal Dunn would, would point to many of her goals this year and be like, ah, that's the best goal I've ever scored. A lot of them have kind of been tap-ins, uh, including the two that she scored uh, against the Courage. And those come from something. Uh, and they come from really good attacking play. And, and Soph has been just, I mean, she's been MVP level value. <laughs> Most, Most valuable, valuable value <laughs> uh, for, for the thorns in, in, in making that work. Uh, credit to Crystal and credit to Morgan and credit to the others who, who have finished off those chances. But man, it's all coming through. So and I, I mean, I, if, if other teams were to come to me for advice, they shouldn't, but if other teams were to come to me for uh, advice about what to do about that, I mean, what, what, 
who was it early in the season that was like that was asked basically this question was like well first of all a lot of prayer um and that's that's basically that's basically what i would tell them as well a lot of prayer uh that's that's about the only thing uh i i can think to throw at that yeah that was an opposing coach i I don't quite remember who it was but yes it it it's pretty much your only hope right is is to make it as difficult as possible for sophia um be as physical as you can despite the fact that she will be physical right back with you like she she does not avoid contact. Yeah, she she's stronger it. than all your defenders. She she is, and she's she's tiny, man. She's not like a big imposing forward. She she is short and you know speedy and skilled and strong. Nonetheless, and stronger than all your defenders. And it's still, yeah, and still strong. Exactly, still stronger than your your strongest center back. That I mean, it it's nuts. So yeah, I mean, seeking help from a higher power would probably be a good move if that's your if that's your jam. Um, but other than that, it's like, you know, you watch Steph Curry in the NBA, right? It's like you, you can, coaches get asked all the time, like, well, how do you slow him down? How do you slow Steph down? It's like, well, you just try to make it difficult for him, but he's going to do what he's going to do. And yeah, that's it. Yeah. That that's, and with regard to soccer, it's even more, um, magnified and, and impactful, uh, what Sophia does because, because she draws away so much of what should be distributed elsewhere. And when that happens, it opens it up for an incredibly talented cast of teammates who have all finished off her passes, who have made plays of their own. Thanks to the space that she's created. I mean, she, she's a no doubt repeat for MVP right now. And and unless something changes and, you know, momentum shifts for her, maybe after the world cup, she's exhausted and isn't as effective as she was prior to it. Uh, it'd be hard for me not to to see her up on that stage again, uh, accepting a second consecutive uh, MVP. I think soccer is a game that doesn't lend itself well to players kind of reaching that level of unstoppability for significant periods of time. I just don't think you see it very often. You see it, I, I think, a decent amount in the NBA, right? I mean, you can sort of rattle off uh, and in basketball, just more generally, you can rattle off players who have kind of gotten to that point where you're just like, there's nothing you can do. Um, I don't think you see it a ton in soccer. And Sofa's there right now. In in the league, she's there right now. Where if you do one thing, she's going to kill you one way. If you do the other thing, she's going to kill you the other way. Uh, and that's different from last year, even when she was already MVP. Uh I, I just don't think there's a lot you can do <laughs> right now uh, because if you don't throw the numbers at her, then Soph's going to eat. Uh, if you do throw the numbers at her, then Soph's going to make sure that 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 Morgan and Crystal eat. Uh, and either way, you're getting eaten. Uh, so I, I, I think she's at that rarefied air that of unstoppability uh, at the moment, one, one way or the other. And, it's really fun to watch for Thorns fans. Uh, I think probably extremely unfun to watch uh, for uh, for non-Thorns fans. Yeah, and as long as they have her, as long as she's healthy, regardless of, of any of the, the slip-ups or issues elsewhere, um, this is a team that can, can win an NWSL big, title. Big defensive problems against North Carolina last weekend. They still drew that game. Still drew it, and, and it wasn't just Soph. It, yeah. it's it's the veteran leaders around her we've talked at length about the experience on this team about the the championship pedigree that this thorns team has um but yeah i mean it, it adds to to the importance of of friday for them to to get three points to to try and catapult themselves back up on on top of the table right now um ol rain who who's stole away the shield from from the thorns in the last week of last season uh, they're they're the shield leaders right now by a point, and they've taken care of business their last few games. Hadn't had a few wins where the Thorns have drawn, and and that that's the difference right now. We talked about like separating themselves from the pack, but in actuality, as as you've pointed out before, that's not necessarily possible. Too many good teams in NWSL, just way too many good teams, and you know, thank goodness for expansion for some of the teams that are. Uh, that are dealing with this right now, because maybe that expansion will help other 
clubs contend and and not run into this brick wall that is like the top four or five, even six teams yeah. in this twelve team league. Um, it's it's there's just so much talent. In yeah, NWSL. I mean, they're, they're, I mean yeah. that, that's exactly the thing. There aren't that many teams, and there are a lot of good players. You know between the United States and Canada uh, that are primarily feeding the, the the domestic talent pipeline in NWSL. So like when you have all those players spread only between 12 teams, you're going to have a lot of teams that are pretty good because you just got a lot of really good players. And the Thorns are, are one of those teams. Certainly one of them. But, you know, yeah, I mean, nobody's yeah. going to be dominant, including the Thorns. I thought that from day one, and I think that today too. Yeah. and And for Portland to even emerge from this season with another championship, despite that parody, I think is a, is a, an even greater Testament to their greatness than if the league was a little more watered down and they were winning title after title, if, right? It, it would be huge. I mean, if they, if they repeat this year, that is really something I think it's, I still think it's going to be very hard. I, I, you know, I am not in the, this is a foregone conclusion kind of camp. I think they're favorites, but I, I think they're far from prohibitive favorites. Uh, and I think there are a few teams that that have plenty of talent and plenty of aptitude to be able to to knock them off. So, uh, but if they can do it, yeah, that is. I mean, that's that's uh, you know, songs will be sung uh, about uh, about this Thorns era. Yes, bards will. Uh... <laughs> Wait, what is a bard? Hold on, is it a is that the I, written? I think, I think right. Is that yeah. a person that does the singing, or is that the written? poetry you know that's a decent question song. i don't know the answer off the top of my head folks you, tweet at us with uh with, with what the you know the right what is what is the a bard? right renaissance uh role for you know singing the song to the legend of the 2022 2023 portland thorns if they're if 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 they're able to repeat their title big if in, in a challenging league for sure so that that you know make sure to tweet at us if you know what a bard is i could google it right now but we're wrapping the show so i'll just do it after um, five thirty on Friday, the Thorns take on Houston in Houston. That game streaming on Paramount Plus. Uh, Thorns are back at home May twenty first uh, against a struggling Chicago Red Stars team. Two p.m. on the twenty first. That game, of course, uh, will be airing on Fox twelve plus for those in the local area and also Paramount Plus. Uh, and that that'll wrap it up for us this week on Soccer Made in Portland. We'll be back next week to talk more Timbers and Thorns as they're momentums seem to be heading in different directions as they so often have in the past year. Um, follow us on Twitter, soccer maiden PDX at Chris Riper at Ryan T Clark. Uh, leave us a rating. If you so choose subscribe to us wherever you get your pods and thanks for joining us. <laughs>